Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to Face the Nation with Margaret Brennan ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. I'm Nancy Cordes in Washington. And this week on Face the Nation, breaking news overnight as a U.S. Osprey crashes in Australia with 23 Marines on board. And three people are killed in a racially motivated shooting in Jacksonville, Florida. We'll have the latest on both stories. Another first for the American presidency last week, a booking photo of former President Trump after he was charged, along with 18 others, with conspiring to overturn the 2020 election results. We did nothing wrong. I did nothing wrong. And everybody knows it. I've never had such support. Trump may be right about that support, as his campaign says they've brought in more than $7 million, thanks in part to mugshot merch. And his competitors? Please raise your hand if you would. Most, including former Vice President Mike Pence, say they'd support him for president even if he's convicted. We'll talk to Pence along with former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie, who feels much differently. Someone's got to stop normalizing this conduct. Have you seen Donald Trump's mugshot yet? I did see it on television. What'd you think? We'll have analysis and talk about the complicated legal calendar with our political panel. Then, a childcare cliff looming next month and a bipartisan duo hoping to prevent it. South Carolina Republican Nancy Mace and California Democrat Ro Khanna will talk about the millions of children who could lose their care if Congress doesn't act. And finally, Russia expert Fiona Hill weighs in on the mysterious plane crash that killed Russian mercenary chief Yevgeny Prigozhin after his failed coup attempt against Vladimir Putin. It's all just ahead on Face the Nation. Good morning and welcome to Face the Nation. We've got a lot to get to today, but we want to begin with that crash of an Osprey aircraft carrying 23 U.S. Marines. 
Three of those Marines are now confirmed dead, and five more have been seriously injured. It happened during a multinational training exercise on Melville Island in Australia's Northern Territory. The incident is under investigation, and we will update you as we learn more. The other breaking story, a dollar store in Jacksonville, Florida, is the site of a racially motivated shooting yesterday. CBS News correspondent Christian Benavides reports from the scene. A heartbroken community left reeling after officials say a gunman opened fire inside a Dollar General store in Jacksonville, Florida, killing three people before taking his own life. All three of the victims were black. Police say the suspect was motivated by hate when he walked into the store Saturday afternoon wearing a mask and tactical vest. Plainly put, this shooting was racially motivated and he hated black people. In writings left behind by the gunman, who is described as a white man in his early 20s, authorities say he described his hateful ideology. This picture, released by the sheriff's office, shows swastikas drawn on the AR-15 style rifle he used to carry out the attack. We stand together as a community, we live together as a community, we fight together as a community. And when someone comes into our city and does this, we're not going to stand for it and we don't accept it. The FBI has opened a federal civil rights investigation and will investigate this as a hate crime. The shooting happened less than a mile from Edward Waters University, a historically black university. In a statement, the school said they believe the suspect was on campus earlier in the day, but left after being confronted by a security officer. That was Christian Benavides reporting from Jacksonville. We want to turn now to politics and former Vice President Mike Pence, who joins us from Indiana this morning. Mr. Vice President, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Nancy. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. I want to start with this shooting in Jacksonville. You know, here we are. It's the eve of the 60th anniversary of the March on Washington. And yet we're appearing we're appearing to witness uh, a rise in racial hatred, in white supremacy across the country. What can you do? What can your party do? What can the nation do to address this? Well, there's no place in America for racially inspired violence. And I, I condemn what occurred in Jacksonville in the strongest possible terms. That wasn't a criminal act. Uh, that was an act of evil. Uh, and uh, uh, but I, I and I, our, our prayers are with the families who lost loved ones and those that are injured. Karen and I prayed this morning for them. And as a Marine Corps family, we also prayed uh, for the families of our Marines that were lost and injured in the Osprey crash. Uh, we, we believe in prayer at our house, Nancy. But but look, I, I, this issue of mass shooting is one that I think we need leadership in this country uh, afresh. I, I I will tell you that uh, I, I believe uh, that the the there's a series of steps that we can take, providing law enforcement with the support that they need, uh, ending this uh, this long. Uh, experiment of defunding the police by the American left. Uh, I think we need to provide federal funding to provide armed guards at all of our public and private schools. Uh, we need a commitment to institutional health care in this country that I've called for many months ago. Uh, but at the end of the day, I also believe that justice delayed is justice denied. And I'm calling for a, an expedited federal death penalty for anyone engaged 
in a mass shooting like took place in Jacksonville or, or frankly, like the shootings that took place at, uh, at, at a baseball park and, and at a football game. We, right. We've got to send a message to anyone that has evil in their hearts uh, that there is no chance uh, for them to spend the rest of their life behind bars, that they're going to meet their fate uh, in months, not years. Uh, and I believe, uh, I believe an expedited due process of federal death penalty for those that engage in the kind of mass shootings that claim lives in Jacksonville yesterday is an idea whose time has come. Understood. Let's turn to the Republican primary. There was a, a moment that uh, a lot of people will remember from the debate the other day, and that was when all of the candidates were asked whether they thought you did the right thing on January 6, 2020. Let's listen quickly to how some of them responded. Vice President Pence did the right thing. Mike Pence did the right thing on January 6th. Mike Pence stood for the Constitution. Absolutely. He did the right thing. Mike did his duty. I got no beef with him. Can you tell us what it felt like to get that kind of validation from your fellow Republican leaders after all the abuse you've taken from the MAGA wing of your party for the past two and a half years for that, for simply doing your job on January 6th? Well, well, Nancy, it was heartening, but it, uh, it wasn't anything new. Frankly, as I've traveled around this country for the last two and a half years, Americans from every walk of life have come up to me and, uh, and expressed their appreciation uh, for the fact that we did our duty that day. Look, I, I, as I said, I understand the disappointment in the 2020 election. I was on the ballot. Uh, but under our Constitution, states certify elections, and once court cases uh, and reviews and recounts are completed. Uh, the only duty uh, of the vice president is to preside over a joint session of Congress where those votes are open and counted. Uh, and I, I welcome the fact that almost everybody on that stage yep. uh, made it clear uh, that I did my duty that day. And uh, I think the American people deserve to hear where uh, every single one of the candidates for the Republican nomination stand. Yeah, I want to ask you about one of those candidates, uh, entrepreneur Vivek Ramaswamy, you had some uh, criticism of him on the stage. You said the country can't afford to have a rookie in the White House. I wonder what you make of his voting record. He is listed as an unaffiliated voter in his home state of Ohio. He didn't vote in the 22 primaries. He has acknowledged that he didn't vote in most presidential elections, and he describes himself as a, quote, American nationalist. What's your view of his politics? Well, uh, you know, where to start? Uh, we, we had a good, vigorous debate, which is, you know, which is why you have primaries, uh, Nancy. And, and I welcome the chance to contrast my longstanding commitment to the conservative agenda uh, to and uh, and frankly, the fact that I believe in all humility that I'm, I'm the most qualified and the most tested uh, candidate in this race, uh, not only with uh, Vivek, who I've known for several years, but for everybody else on the stage. I mean, look, I, I think this country's in a lot of trouble. I think Joe Biden, uh, from that disastrous withdrawal in Afghanistan two years ago this week, to his policies that launched the worst inflation in 40 years, mortgage uh, rates went up to a 22-year high yesterday, burdening families, their war on energy, the crisis at the border, the assault on our liberties. Now is the time... I believe, for leadership uh, that uh, that knows how to move the Congress, knows how to move an administration, but also 
has led a state right. and, and made the hard choices of a chief executive at the state level. And so I was happy to contrast that with regard to his, his we're voting about, record. We're talking about <laughs> Ramaswamy here, uh, I, I, uh, if you don't mind, Mr. Vice President. Yeah. He said that he would pardon sure. Mr. Trump. You were one of six candidates on the stage who said that you would support Mr. Trump even if he is convicted of a felony. Why do you feel that way? Especially since you also said on the stage that you felt that he asked you to put him before the Constitution. Why should someone like that be president? Well, I, look, I, I signed a, a, a pledge to be on that stage to say that I support the Republican nominee. I remain confident more confident after Wednesday night that the Republican nominee will not be the former president, that we're going to give the American people a standard bearer uh, for the GOP that's going to be able to lead us to victory against Joe Biden uh, and, and the radical left. But uh, so, you know, my, I, I raised my hand just to say that I'll, I'll support the Republican nominee because, uh, Nancy, I could never support Joe Biden. I mean, Joe Biden's policies have been disastrous. He and his family are under an ethical cloud themselves. And frankly, Joe Biden has trampled on the Constitution of the United States. He's failed to faithfully execute our laws at the southern border of the United States, created the worst crisis in American history. And that, that student loan giveaway where he was going to ask truck drivers uh, to pay their taxes to pay off the student loans of graduate students was a was essentially an unconstitutional power grab that I rejected. So I'll support the Republican nominee and and I'm going to continue to work my heart out to make sure that it's me. Mr. Vice President, we'll be looking forward to the next debate and seeing you there. Appreciate you joining us this morning. Thank you, Nancy. Good to be with you. We turn now to former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie. Governor, good morning. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Nancy. It's good to be here. Let's get right to it. Do you take issue with former President Trump making money off of his mugshot? Look, there's almost nothing anymore that he could do that would surprise me in terms of the ongoing grift. Um, you know, Donald Trump promised the country when he ran in 2016 that he would um, drain the swamp. Really, all he did was rearrange the swamp rearranged it so that he could make money off of regular voters to pay his own legal fees, to pay $208,000 for his wife's stylist, um, and to set up a $2 billion grift from the Saudis for his daughter, Ivanka, and his son-in-law, Jared. Um, you know, we see the same thing with Hunter Biden and what he's doing. Um, we have two ruling families right now in this country who put themselves before uh, the people they're supposed to represent. We need a wholesale change, and that's why I'm running for president. You think Trump supporters are being ripped off when they donate? Absolutely. Uh, you know, when you see $40 million in legal fees in just the first half of the year, and that was before um, two of the indictments, uh, these fees are only going to go through the roof. And Donald Trump maybe should sell one of his golf courses or maybe sell his apartment at Trump Tower to fund it. But instead, he's taking people who donate an average of $100 to him to try to get him to become president of the United States again. And he's using that money to pay his legal fees. It's it's unethical. It's immoral. Um, and it's just another part of the grift that's been going on in Washington, D.C. for much, much too long. Uh, and, you know, you look at him and you look at what's going on, as I said, with Hunter Biden and the way he was selling access to his father. Um, when he was vice president. I think that we should be tired of both of those acts. You know, you said at the debate, and it got a lot of attention, that candidates need to stop normalizing Trump's conduct. But 
you stood by him after he was accused of rape, after he praised Vladimir Putin repeatedly, after he was impeached. Didn't you normalize his conduct for a long time as well? The conduct I'm talking about, Nancy, is the one that is the greatest threat to our country and the greatest threat to our democracy. And that was standing in front of the cameras from the White House behind the seal of the president on election night and telling people the election was stolen. And for now, three years nearly, continuing to say the same thing with absolutely no proof and no evidence. Um, that's the problem, Nancy. You know, you can have policy disagreements with someone. And believe me, I spoke out at the time about the things that I disagreed with Donald Trump on. That's much different than taking classified documents from the White House and hiding them for 18 months from the government claiming you don't have them, when these are some of the biggest secrets in our, in our country's arsenal. It's different than undercutting democracy in the way that he was doing so um, and leading to the riot we had on Capitol Hill on January 6th. You know, I'm going to get on that stage and I'm going to tell the truth, um, regardless of what other people may think. That is the truth. Um, and that's why, you know, I urge people to go to chrischristie.com, donate to support the truth, because that's what we're standing up for. One of Trump's 18 co-defendants in Fulton County is his former chief of staff, Mark Meadows, who you know. And he's going to be in court tomorrow arguing that his charges should be moved to federal court because the conduct in question happened when he was serving in the federal government. You are a former federal, federal prosecutor. What do you think of that argument? He's got an argument to make, um, Nancy. There's no doubt that under the statutes, there's an argument to make. But ultimately, all of these change of venue decisions are at the discretion um, of the, the trial judge here, a federal judge, who's going to be hearing that. And he's going to want to hear all the different evidence and the balancing of the interests. Um, and these venue decisions are made on that basis. So is there an argument to be made? There's definitely an argument to be made um, about switching venue to federal court. But in the end, it really won't change matters all that much, except that the trial won't be televised. It still has to be governed under the state laws of Atlanta. The only thing that will be different are some of the procedural things that lawyers care about. But in the end, all the charges must remain the same. So I think that uh, whether uh, Mark Meadows wins that motion or doesn't is not going to make a substantive difference on how ultimately a jury is going to be asked to make these decisions at the time of trial. I want to move to an issue that a lot of Republican voters in particular care about, which is immigration. On the debate stage, a couple of your opponents seem to suggest that they would send troops into Mexico to fight the drug cartels. Governor DeSantis said he would deploy U.S. special forces. Do you think that that is a viable solution to the fentanyl crisis? Wouldn't Mexico view that as an act of war? I think they would. Um, and look, I see it also um, as, an, as an act of war by China to be sending the precursor chemicals um, to uh, these Mexican drug cartels in order to make the fentanyl that they're sending up into the country. Look, I think there are ways to get this done. Um, I think we have to use our intelligence assets. Um, we have to be much tougher and stronger at the border to prevent people from coming through. Um, finish the wall um, that Donald Trump never finished, only built 52 miles of in four years. Um, we need to make sure that we put National Guard at the border to stop those folks from coming across the border with fentanyl. Um, I think the invasion of Mexico issue is one that sounds good on a debate stage, but I think if, if any of them tried to implement that part of it as president, um, they would find it's much more complicated than they're, than they're making it sound. 
Wouldn't it be illegal to have the National Guard serving in a law enforcement capacity at the border? No, Nancy, look, I think that what we're doing is protecting the border. They would be working with Customs and Border Patrol folks hand in hand. They can effectuate the arrests, but you obviously need greater force there to prevent them from coming over the, the border in the first place. And so it's a combination of the two of them. Customs and Border Patrol would still be the law enforcement agency, but they need backup. They need help. Um, and they're not getting that right now from the Biden administration. Former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Nancy. Have a good Sunday. Face the Nation will be back in one minute. Stay with us. It's harder to focus than ever these days. Thankfully, C4 has reinvented the energy drink game with C4 Smart Energy, the only energy drink clinically proven to provide enhanced mental focus, containing 200 milligram of natural caffeine, a blend of vitamins and zero sugar. It was formulated to support your well-being and help you feel your best, all while enhancing mental focus. From your brain to your body, C4 Smart Energy does it all and tastes amazing. Look for Smart Energy in the beverage aisle at your local Kroger, Albertsons, and Safeway grocery stores. C4 Smart Energy. Stay focused. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. We are back with South Carolina Republican Congresswoman Nancy Mace and Democratic California Congressman Ro Khanna. Together, they launched the Congressional Bipartisan Affordable Child Care Caucus. That's a mouthful to deal with the child care cliff that is barreling down the pike. And I want to get to that in just a moment. But first, I want to talk to you about politics. Congresswoman, uh, President Trump is now facing four indictments, mm -hmm. and yet he is still the overwhelming favorite to win the Republican nomination. Can your party win the presidency if he's the nominee? Well, I think every, both sides are going to have to work hard to win next year. Um, I, I talked to a lot of uh, voters that are frustrated with both the Republican and Democrat Party. Both parties have put us on the spending cliff. You talk about child care cliff, which we'll talk about in a moment, but both parties have contributed to the inflation that we have today, the out-of-control spending, the debt ceiling that's going to add almost $20 trillion to the debt over the next 10 years. And I think both parties are going to have to make a strong case next year, regardless of who the nominee is. Um, but, you know... We'll see what voters decide next year. You think Trump is a good messenger for that He's case? running away with the uh, nomination process now. We're still pretty far out, but he just raised over $7 million after the fourth in indictment. So um, voters will get a say. I know that in my district and in my state, um, he's a standard bearer uh, for the nomination right now. Congressman Khanna, you said back in April that you felt that the White House was being too overprotective of the president, that it basically wasn't letting him get out there enough and uh, be his authentic self. Do you feel that uh, top aides in the White House got that message? I think they do. The president has a great story to tell. He's bringing back manufacturing in Ohio, $20 billion. 
in Ohio of new uh, industry. He's focused on the working class. I was actually just in South Carolina yesterday with Bishop Green at AME Church, and the faith community has a lot of support for him. He's a better politician than anyone who works for him. Let him be out there. Congresswoman Mace, uh, you are pro-life, but you've also said your party's too extreme on abortion. And on the debate stage the other night, many of the candidates uh, put their support behind a a national abortion ban uh, at 15 weeks, perhaps even earlier. Your fellow South Carolinian Nikki Haley was not among them. She said that that's unrealistic. But do you think that position is going to hold up well with the GOP primary electorate? Well, certainly every candidate talked about being pro-life and what their what their limits may or may not be. But the only candidate on the stage that talked about how we should protect women and not demonize them was Nikki Haley. And that is a message that we have to carry through. Um, we have to be pro-woman and pro-life. You cannot go after women and attack them because they make a choice that you don't like or do not agree with because it's a very sensitive subject right now. We want to show that we are going to protect women who've been raped, girls who are victims of incest. We want to make sure that every woman in this country, regardless of where she lives or how much money she makes, that she has access to birth control. Those are the kinds of things, and we're going to talk about child care in a minute, but those are the kinds of things that really matter to women. And we have to show that we that we care. And I do want to add that uh, I know that you uh, were praising President Biden this story that he has to tell, but the story he won't tell is a story about his family's business. He has lied every single time he's been asked about his family's business. He's lied about his involvement. Uh, he had a pseudonym. Like you've done, if you've done everything up um, above board, why is there the need to lie for it? That is a story that I want to hear. That is a story that every American deserves if to I hear. If I could just respond to that. Representative Mason and I quickly. agree on a lot of left. things, but this president has shown integrity for 40 years. He has been completely transparent. He has allowed the law enforcement agencies to take uh, their hold without interfering. And I think the American people will see that. Welcome back to Face the Nation. I'm Nancy Cordes in for Margaret today. And we are back with Republican Nancy Mace and Democrat Ro Khanna. And the two of you are here because the U.S. is facing a so-called child care cliff that most parents probably didn't know about. On September 30th, just a little over a month from now, $40 billion worth of pandemic-era funding for the child care industry is set to expire. And without it, up to 70,000 child care facilities could close, and an estimated 3.2 million children could lose access to child care. These numbers are really frightening. What can the two of you do about it? And how quickly can you get legislation together so that Congress could consider it before the deadline? Well, it's staggering the challenge before us. And uh, Congressman Khan and I, we've been good friends. We've been great lawmakers together. We've started a child care caucus. Um, our approaches may be different from time to time on different issues, but our goals are always the same. And these are issues that parents, especially moms, uh, that, that they care about and we have to address. From the perspective that I'm looking at, you know, we, we talk about four-year-old pre-K. We talk about making sure that parents have the freedom and the resources to have child care options, affordable child care options. I approach it from a less government regulation standpoint. We have some really crazy regulations in this country. Some places say you have to have a four-year college degree. Well, that certainly makes it harder to find child care workers, yep. incre the increases in cost because of it. Other places say, well, if you're certified in one state, it's not reciprocal in another. And it's just, you know, having some of the those uh, approaches that can be easy to fix, fast to fix, not controversial, that can pass out of a 
Republican-controlled House, Democrat-controlled Senate, and get to a Democrat president's desk to be signed into law, that's what we've got to be working on. So what do the two of you agree on? Well, first of all, as divided as we are as a country, 86% of Americans believe that there, we need more support for affordable childcare. This right. is something that unifies Americans. We have agreement on more training for childcare workers, paying them more and having more flexibility. We have an agreement on uh, some support, government policy support for childcare. The average cost of a family for childcare is $10,000 a year. And 85% of women say that they can't work because of childcare issues if they're leaving the workforce. So we, have, we need a short-term solution, which is continuation of some of the grants and funding, the Child Care Stabilization Act, so we don't have this cliff and that the president signs. And then we need a long-term solution to reduce the cost to families. Experts say doing that alone would cost $16 billion. Congresswoman, you spoke earlier about the fact that you feel uh, that both President Trump and President Biden presided yeah. over too much spending. But a lot of the solutions here, mm -hmm. experts say, cost money. Uh, universal pre-K, fully funding the child care development fund, um, subsidizing child care for low-income families. What could you live with? And what do you think you could convince fellow Republicans to get on board for? Well, I actually think it's less government, not more, that's getting in the way of this. We saw in December of 2018 when the Azar report came through, making recommendations to states about health care policy and certificate of need. The same kind of thing could be said for what are some of the easy, low-hanging fruit regulations that we can roll back or eradicate or recommend do you go think away. Do you think rolling back it's regulations alone, can though, can on. really get at it's the It's a good problem. start because right now we're going to have a very difficult time with the appropriations process because of the amount of spending that's going on, because of the additional supplementals. What are some of the small parts that will make a big difference in a mom's life? And that is one thing that I think a lot of us can agree on. It's not going to be easy. We do some large, comprehensive spending package, it's going to have difficulty going through. So I'm looking for the small parts, big difference here policy-wise. This is an investment that is pro-economic growth. I mean, businesses are losing billions of dollars because we don't have people in the workforce. So it pays uh, for itself. And then you look at the funding, you're talking about less than 1% of the defense budget. We're one of the only countries that is putting $10,000 of burden on ordinary families just to take care of their kid. It's pro-family, it's pro-economic growth, and we should have a consensus in this country to have the government uh, make a difference here. We can and incentivize businesses too, and then make sure that parents have the money to be able to afford childcare. Less taxes would be great. It is so important because we've seen study after study that mm -hmm. shows that early childhood education makes such a huge difference in outcomes later in mm -hmm. life. So we really hope you're successful. Congresswoman Nancy so Mace, Congressman Rokana. Appreciate it and appreciate you being here today. Thank you. Thank you. And we'll be right back. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. 
Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. This Monday marks the 60th anniversary of Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech that he made at the 1963 March on Washington. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. Yesterday, thousands marched to honor the anniversary, a continuation of Dr. King's dream with many echoes of the past and concerns about the challenges facing the civil rights movement today. Among those who spoke, Dr. King's granddaughter, Yolanda King. Sixty years ago, Dr. King urged us to struggle against the triple evils of racism, poverty, and bigotry. Today, racism is still with us. Poverty is still with us. And now, gun violence has come for our places of worship, our schools, and our shopping centers. A powerful message. We'll discuss that with our political panel. Joining us now, Robert Costa is our chief election and campaign correspondent. David Becker is our CBS News election law contributor. And we're also joined by congressional correspondents Scott McFarlane and Nicole Killian, a double billing. Thanks to all of you for being here. Uh, What prescient words by the granddaughter of Martin Luther King just a few hours before that shooting talking about uh, racially animated shootings taking place across the country. Nicole, uh, you know, here we are 60 years later, still a lot of challenges. Yeah, really striking. Of course, that was King's granddaughter. We also heard from uh, Martin Luther King the Sir- the third, Dr. King's uh, son uh, and uh, uh, King's wife. But, you know, really being out there on the mall yesterday, 60 years later, it was palpable the amount of frustration and concern there is 60 years later. You know, we talk about how far we have come as a country. And yet for many, uh, particularly in the African-American community, there's a sense that we're still fighting the same battles, whether that's issues of hate crimes and racial violence, whether that's the issue of the rollback of affirmative action, voting rights. So those were some of the concerns articulated at the march yesterday and also a call to action to continue to keep fighting uh, some of these issues so that one day Dr. King's dream can be realized. That certainly was the message expressed. A call to action earlier in the show today by uh, former Vice President Mike Pence as well. Robert, I want to talk to you about the former president, President Trump, uh, who is now uh, he's he's been booked. He's got a mugshot. He's uh, raising a lot of money using that mugshot. What can you tell us about the legal strategy uh, that his his team has right now, particularly after he has changed his legal team in the Atlanta case? Uh, Good to be with you. He has shaken up his legal team in Georgia. What to watch now is the difference between his strategy and the strategy of his co-defendants in this Georgia case, a sprawling prosecution using RICO, racketeering charges, to get this large group of uh, defendants together. 
Kenneth Chesborough, who authored a memo suggesting alternate electors should be organized by Trump people, he is pushing for a speedy trial. So is Sidney Powell, another co-defendant who infamously urged Trump to use the government to seize voting machines in the weeks after the 2020 election. But Trump himself is not pushing for a speedy trial because it could have political complications based on our reporting here at CBS News. He could be called as a witness during the fall, just as debates are heating up and the, the primaries and caucuses loom on the horizon. What you're also watching in Georgia right now is the push by Mark Meadows, the former chief of staff, to have this trial move from being a Georgia case at the state Fulton County level to being a federal case. So there are many dynamics at play, multiple legal fronts, all as the political battleground also unfolds. David, you're a lawyer. Uh, Robert just mentioned these co-defendants who are looking for a speedy trial. Why would they want a speedy trial? Why would they want their lawyers to have less time to prepare for this? Well, they might feel that they already know the facts of this case and they're prepared to go to trial. There might be a variety of tactical reasons they might be moving in that way. And the court's ultimately going to have to decide how to sever all of these defendants and place them into different different court cases at different times. Or they could ultimately all be tried together as well if there's some way to reconcile that. But that's something that the lawyers and the clients are obviously discussing and trying to figure out. And this is where we're really going to see the tension between the defendants. These defendants aren't all unified in their claims, and some of them may do better if others of them do worse. And so we're going to see that played out over the next several months as these tactical considerations are made. We know that Donald Trump does not want a speedy trial in this case or any of the cases. In fact, uh, in D.C. tomorrow, there's going to be a hearing about uh, one of his federal cases where his lawyers have pushed to have the trial in 2026. Uh, are they going to be successful with that uh, with that motion, Scott? We will find out tomorrow, 10 a.m. Eastern time. The judge in Washington, D.C. determines the trial date. And this is a Mars and Venus type of world. The prosecution wants it January 2nd. And as you mentioned, Trump's team wants it 2026. There are some reasons for optimism for Jack Smith going into this hearing. First of all, the early hearings in this case have moved crisply. They've had a quick schedule and the judge has met all the early deadlines. And the judge has said, if Donald Trump continues with vitriolic social media posts, she's inclined to move the trial date earlier to avoid tainting the jury pool. And there's also the other matter of there are many other cases going on and this schedule is getting clogged quickly. A January or early 2024 trial might suit some purposes. And Nancy, by so many accounts, this case, the one in D.C., is built for efficiency. I want to ask you, Nicole, about the vitriolic social media posts that Scott uh, just eloquently described. Uh, the judge in, or the DA rather, in Atlanta has a different bond agreement with Donald Trump than with any of his other co-defendants. Basically, he has to refrain from attacking fellow witnesses, defendants, um, uh, on social media or anywhere else. Based on what we know of Donald Trump, uh, which is that he attacks lots of people all the time on social media, how is it how likely is it that he is going to live up to that agreement? Well, it remains to be seen. I mean, we also know that he's very verbose on the campaign trail and doesn't really hold back when it comes to going after the prosecutors in this case. But he does have to be very careful. We know that he has a new counsel in Georgia. I would imagine maybe conversations uh, would be had about those parameters to reaffirm them. But uh, certainly the fact that the former president turned around and put his mugshot on social media in such a short period of time, raised some $7.1 million off of that, shows that, you know, he is trying 
trying to capitalize off of this case. So it's certainly likely he could go after some of these witnesses, continue to go after prosecutors. But if he's being smart about it and listening to his counsel, hopefully he won't. A lot of people wondering why a billionaire would have to go through a bail bondsman to post a $200,000 bail. Well, this is a case where Trump is just trying to get his bearings now in Georgia. He got rid of his lawyer, Drew Finley. But the political consequences of all this. They're watching Trump get a bail bondsman in Georgia, the rest of the field. I was in Milwaukee this week covering the debate, and they're just wondering, is there ever a moment where this all becomes too much? For now, Republican voters are rallying behind Trump. They're buying his mugshot on coffee cups or on T-shirts. But the Republican race, and I was hearing this from candidates and their top strategists out in Milwaukee this week, They're saying that down the line, this could become such a burden on Trump's time, on his political energy, that maybe they start to break through. That's why they're not going at him directly in most cases. You heard some criticism, of course, from Vice President Pence, former Vice President Pence, and former Governor Christie in your conversations today. But beyond those two, they're really hovering around Trump's candidacy, trying to build their own message, should there ever be a collapse with Trump. But as we know with the Republican Party, it might never come. They might always stick by Trump. Certainly gets difficult to schedule campaign rallies if you're expected in court uh, every other day. David, I want to go big picture here because you are an election law expert. And I'm just wondering, because you speak to uh, secretaries of state and election officials in various states all the time, how do they feel now that the former president, many of his aides, have actually been charged with crimes connected to the 2020 election, which, as we know, was not rife with fraud, as the former president continues to argue. Yeah, it's 1,027 days since that November 2020 election, the most scrutinized election in American history with more paper ballots, audits, recounts, more pre-election litigation, more post-election litigation confirming the results than ever before. And election officials are still, to this day, almost three years after that, having to debunk lies about that election, having to defend their own patriotism, their own service to our country, um, playing an endless game of whack-a-mole. But I think they are seeing... an accountability coming to those who have spread those lies for so long. It's not just the criminal cases. It's also the civil defamation case against Fox News. It's also the disbarment proceedings against people like John Eastman and Rudy Giuliani. There is a sense that accountability is coming, and they want this to play out according to how the legal system is supposed to work. And it is working that way right now. And so what we hope to see is that There is a cooling down because right now there are tens of millions of Americans who still believe that Republicans and Democrats are conspiring to steal elections. And that's just false. And we know it's false. A lot of election workers who got death threats, who continue to get death threats because of some of the things that people are saying about the election. David Becker, Robert Costa, Nicole Killian, Scott McFarland. Thank you all for being here today. Appreciate it. We'll be right back. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. 
CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome back. Russia's investigative committee confirmed today that the remains of Wagner leader Yevgeny Prigozhin have been positively identified, along with the nine others who died in a plane crash last week. We're joined by Fiona Hill, senior fellow at the Brookings Institution and a former White House Russia expert. Good morning, Fiona. Thank you so much for being here. So uh, Russian President Vladimir Putin claims he had nothing to do with this. Is there anyone in the diplomatic community who believes that? I doubt it. And look, I think what we can certainly say is he didn't order it not to happen uh, because there are plenty of people who uh, were painting a target on Prigozhin's back. The system itself expected him to be taken out of the picture in some fashion. Um, I guess it was a question about what the method would be. And in fact, I think over the last two months has been more shock, not just internationally, but also domestically based on source reporting that the fact that nothing had happened to Prigozhin and that he was allowed to walk around as if he hadn't indeed perpetrated a putsch exactly two months ago. You know, usually Putin's enemies tend to get poisoned or pushed out windows or shot. Why go to the trouble of bombing an airplane? Well, we don't know exactly how the aircraft was brought down yet, but I guess we'll find out more as things go along. I mean, I'm sure, again, that the Russian uh, government, the Kremlin, will accuse all kinds of other people about uh, carrying out this act if it's seen to be the result of an explosive device, for example. But it's so dramatic, uh, it's so spectacular, that, of course, one has to ask whether this was done for the demonstrative effect of it. And we have had some mysterious plane crashes in the past, uh, taking down Russian leaders. There was a very famous uh, general, Alexander Lebed, for example, who died in a helicopter crash. So it's not um, something that is unheard of. And in other settings as well, of course, we've had Pakistan, Bangladesh, China, where there have been uh, the uh, loss of key people in uh, plane crashes. So I think this is par for the course, unfortunately. And there is some symmetry, isn't there, to Prigozhin's dash to Moscow in that aborted mutiny when the Wagner Group brought down several Russian aircraft. Exactly. So this is also part of that idea of he who lives by the sword dies by the sword, an eye for an eye, the vengeance factor, it's baked into the system. There was a lot of clamour from the uniformed military and especially the Air Force uh, for some kind of retribution for this, whether it was in a legal form. But look, he took down a proportional number of people in a... um, Russian military aircraft, as you've just said here. So again, there is um, a symmetry and a symbolism all of it, uh, in all of this that is inescapable in the Russian domestic context, as well as for the rest of us watching it from the outside. The Wagner Group has been so pivotal for the Russian military in the war in Ukraine. Now there are reports that uh, the Russian government is requiring Wagner fighters to sign loyalty oaths. What is this Uh, going to mean, the death of Yevgeny Prigozhin, what will it mean for the war in Ukraine? Well, I don't think it'll actually mean anything significant for the war in Ukraine in terms of uh, the military campaign itself. 
We were already seeing that Wagner was being uh, pulled out or was pulling out after uh, the um, actions in Bakhmut, uh, where they were in the thick of the, of the fighting there in that uh, city that, of course, you know, was so much of the focus of the carnage of the war over the last uh, several months. But it was already um, a precipitating factor in all of this series of events over the last two months. The idea that the Wagner group were going to be dismantled and reincorporated or incorporated for the first time, rather, into the Russian military. And that was one of the factors that Prigozhin himself was citing as a reason for him making his march on Moscow. He didn't want to have his guys put under the command of the central Russian military. So I think, you know, what we can see from all of this is that Wagner was pretty crucial for these early stages, this first couple of um, uh, parts of the campaign in Ukraine. And now uh, the Russian government and Putin wants to have more centralised control. He gave Wagner a long leash and Prigozhin clearly took that leash far too far. Mm-hmm. You know, you're such a close study of Vladimir Putin. You've sat across the table from him. How should we think about his power in Russia now after this uh, likely assassination? There was a period of time after Prigozhin made that dash to Moscow where it seemed like elites, um, commentators in Russia felt more comfortable speaking out against Putin, against the war. He appeared to be weak. How does his standing look to you now? Well, and not only were other commentators speaking out, but Prokhorin himself said this war was a mistake. Mm-hmm. But it was basically he was acting because he wanted to make sure that the war was won. And that was kind of part of the, the theme of his, uh, of his revolt. Now, other commentators, as you rightly said, including you know, some senior generals, have been uh, bashed, uh, literally bashed back and uh, put out of the picture uh, for saying the same kinds of things. What Putin is saying with this assassination, whether you know, he actually carried out or not, the message is going to be uh, very clearly uh, transmitted to everybody. Uh, no um, speaking out now, buckle down, everyone getting behind this campaign in Ukraine. That's why I say I don't think it's really going to change the way that the Russians are approaching this. And there is no room whatsoever for disloyalty. One of the things that Putin said that was very notable when uh, the uh, mutiny, the putsch was happening two months ago is that the traitors who carry this out will have an inevitable punishment. We've seen an inevitable death as a result of this that everyone was foretold. I mean, we've all been expecting something like this uh, for the last two months. The message to the whole system is, don't try anything. And even don't criticise, I would say, at this particular point, because we've seen so much action against people who have been speaking out. And Prigozhin may not be the last to be targeted. Fiona Hill, Russia thank expert, so thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. And that's it for us. Thank you for watching. For Face the Nation, I'm Nancy Corda. Today's guests were 2024 candidates, former Vice President Mike Pence and former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie. California Democrat Congressman Ro Khanna, South Carolina Republican Congresswoman Nancy Mace, and former White House Russia expert Fiona Hill. The executive producer of Face the Nation is Mary Hager. This broadcast was directed by Shelley Schwartz. Face the Nation originates from CBS News in Washington. For more Face the Nation, we're online at facethenation.com. And you can follow Face the Nation at CBS Radio News on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Face the Nation is also rebroadcast on our CBS News streaming network at 1.34 and 10 p.m. on Sundays. And it's available through our apps, CBS News and Paramount+. Plus. If you like Face the Nation with Margaret Brennan, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. 
Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money, and maybe more importantly, on your life. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app.